You're listening to the podcast of Sojourn Church, Carlisle. For the next three weeks, our sermon series will engage with our church's view of missionality. To be on mission with God is to follow after God's heart, to seek that which is lost, and to redeem that which has been forsaken. We'll explore this value by looking at one of these verses each week, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, and the Great Concern. At Sojourn Carlisle, it's our desire to be on mission with God here in South Louisville and beyond by learning how to love God completely, to love Jesus conscientiously, and to love our neighbor compassionately. All right, peace be with you. Oh, let's try that one more time. Peace be with you. Amen. You guys may be seated for now. Um, we're going to do start off a little differently this morning because um, we want to be able to, as a church, pause and remember the sufferings of our fellow image bearers in Haiti and also in Afghanistan. We want to be able to lament, to express sorrow for the brokenness of our world. Hello? So in a moment, uh, we're going to have a time of silent prayer for each one of you. And if you have a guide or if you have it online, there's some prompts there that you can look at and review in order to help you as we take this moment of silence together and as we close out together. So just to give you a couple of prompts, not all, but some to think through as we take our silence. We want to pray for wisdom for leaders across our country. We want to pray for those who, fear, who are living in fear for their very lives, that they may reach the safety they des- they did, that they desperately need and definitely deserve. We want to pray for people who are able to reach a new place and who are now becoming immigrants, refugees, and even friends all across our, this nation and even this world. We want to pray for the newly adopted in Afghanistan and also in Haiti. Specifically in Haiti, we want to pray for those who are experiencing physical trauma and pain as they aid workers, as aid workers struggle to provide adequate medical care in the aftermath of the earthquakes. We want to pray for those who've lost their homes and even their homelands, family members included. Finally, we want to pray that hearts may be turned to Christ and the suffering that they're experiencing. They may find refuge and strength and peace in him. Amen? Amen. Let's take a moment of silence to pray to our God on behalf of our fellow brothers and sisters, image bearers in Haiti and also in Afghanistan. Father, we ask that you would be with us in this moment and you will be with your people across the nation. We pray, God, that for our world leaders, that they will make decisions that honor and glorify your name. We pray, God, for those who are living right now in the fear of death. Pray that, Lord, they will make reach safety and have safe harbor, not only in you, but physically, even in the land that they preside in. We pray, God, that you would rise up and you would hear the cries of your people and respond in grace and much mercy as you always have. And you always will. In Jesus' name, amen. To conclude our time, I want to read for our hearing 
Psalm 56, 46, excuse me. So if you want to follow along with me, feel free as I read. Soldier in Church Call, I remember that God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roars and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil, there is a river that streams the light, the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her. She will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations rage, kingdoms topple. The earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our strength. Come, see the works of the Lord who brings devastation on the earth. He makes war cease throughout the earth. He shatter bowls and cuts spears into pieces. He sets wagons ablaze. Stop your fighting and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, it's with great delight and pleasure that I welcome you guys to Church on the Lawn. Woo! Thank you. Um, we, for the next three weeks, we'll be exploring our core value of missionality by looking at three of the following sermons. Today, we'll look at the Great Commission. We'll, to next week, we'll look at the Great Command. And our following week, we'll look at the Great Concern. This week, we'll look at Matthew 28. We'll look at Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. And if you're physically able to stand, I ask that you please stand at this time for the reading of God's word. To hear God's word proclaimed over us this morning. So Matthew 28 reads as follows. Matthew 28, starting at verse 16, it says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where God had directed them. When they saw him, that being Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You know, it was a typical day for me. I was ending my day at work sometime this week. I believe it was Thursday. And I was abruptly interrupted within my thought process as I saw these words from one of my closest friends on Facebook. The message was clear. And the message was concise. This is what the message said. Hard work doesn't always pay off. Hard work doesn't always pay off. And I have to first admit that when I first heard those words, those words I became defensive. What? That doesn't make sense to me. Hard work always pays off, I reason. The question wasn't whether hard work pays off or not. The question was this. Does hard work always pay off? 
You know, within many of our religious circles, we have wrongly concluded that the notion of being a successful evangelist is to be on an individualistic journey that primarily bears fruit when you travel hundreds of thousands of miles away into a foreign land or context. It's also truly, it's only truly, and it's only truly deemed successful if someone confesses Jesus as Lord. Now, if this is your definition of being a successful evangelist, then I would ask if you to consider this question. Was Jesus a successful evangelist? If so, why did Jesus not successfully convert everyone he encountered with the gospel message? Think about it with me. John chapter 6, verses 60 through 66. Jesus said these words to his disciples after talking about, the Bible talks about Jesus in this way, after he invites them to eat of his flesh and partake of his blood. It says, from that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the 12, you don't, you want to go away too, do you? Think about Jesus' rejection at Nazareth, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, where these words were mission of him in verse 5. It says, he was not able to do a miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few people, sick people, and healed them. He was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the villages teaching. Think with me to Matthew 19, verses 16 through 22, the story of the rich young ruler, where at the end of that story, Matthew tells us that when the young man heard all that Jesus had spoken to him, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. So here's the real question I want to ask us this morning. How do you define a successful evangelist? I, I want to challenge us this morning to consider this notion. What if the Great Commission had less to do with our doing of mission and more of our being on mission. What does the Great Commission have less to do with our doing of missions and more of our being on mission? Will you pray with me? Father, we ask right now that you would be with us as we hear from you and hear from your word. Would you give us your grace as we so I preach and proclaim your word as always, God. Take the little I have and make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, many of you don't know me, but I'm sure some of you probably have found out that I don't have a green thumb. But I've recently become fascinated with something called demonstration plots. A demonstration plot is a field of land that's usually used to teach, experiment, and share ideas about agriculture. It's kind of like a testing ground, if you will, for farmers. I love what Adam Gustine says in his book, Becoming a Just, Just Church, about the demonstration part. He says this. He says, the church is a demonstration of the alternate way of being a people in the world. Embodying God's tomorrow today is an act is an ongoing act of demonstration. Local churches are communities set aside for putting a different way of life on display for a watching world to observe. 
You see, here at Sojourn Church Carlisle, I desire to have a nuanced approach for missions and evangelism. I want us to consider evangelism as not simply completing a goal or fulfilling a quota, but as a lifestyle, as a paradigm. What I mean by that is, and you may have heard me say this before, about the paradigm that we talk about a lot is that we want strangers to become neighbors, neighbors to become friends, friends to become visitors, and visitors eventually, by the grace of God, to become family in Christ Jesus. So how do we make that happen? Well, here's the lifestyle. We want to live our lives as if Jesus Christ is the sovereign Lord of all and the resurrected King of his church. And today we'll examine this question. Are you, are we living our life as if Jesus is our resurrected King? Are we living our life as if Jesus is our resurrected King? Look with me at verses 16 and 17 this morning in Matthew 28. 16 and verses 16 and 17 reads as follows, says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to a mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. You see, the Great Commission was given out of the great despair and disappointment of Jesus. The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, the Bible says they worshiped, but some Doubted. Did you see it? Did you notice it? You see, first he noticed that 11 disciples traveled to Galilee. Verse 16. Not 12 disciples, but 11. Second, listen to Matthew's honest description within this moment when he said, when, he said, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. This is a subtle reminder for us in our context that Jesus while Jesus was resurrected from the dead, his, prom- his problems remained the same. He rose to face the disappointment of being betrayed by Judas, one of his disciples, and also the despair of being deserted by most of his disciples when he needed them the most. So how will Jesus respond to those who betray him? How will Jesus respond to those who doubt him? Look with me close at verse 18. It says very clearly, verse 18, that Jesus came near. Notice with me that Jesus meets us in our doubts, and he's not intimidated by our failures or our faults. As Psalm 46 said this morning, God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the sea, though its waters roam and foams and the mountains quake with its turmoil. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you doubting the goodness of God this morning? Are you questioning the love of God? Are you confused about the will of God? Are you wondering about the faithfulness of our God? Then you are in a good place. Because even though we have faults, and even though we have failures, and even though we have doubts, we can rest assured that Jesus still draws near. So what does that mean for you? It means this, that you don't have to be your best. (laughs) You don't have to act your best. You don't have to 
do your best. You don't have to perform in order to be accepted by Jesus. Jesus has draws near to the brokenhearted, and he draws near to those who often see themselves as unacceptable or unlovable by him. I love this, verse 18. It says, Jesus came near. It reminds us that our doubts don't subdue God's sovereign power. You see, the opposite of faith isn't the doubt of God's sovereignty. The opposite of faith is the denial of God's sovereignty. Listen to the prophet Daniel speaking of Jesus as a son of man in Daniel 7, 14. He says these words, he being Jesus has given authority to rule the glory and a kingdom so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. Jesus is Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus is Lord regardless of what you think of him. Jesus is Lord regardless of what we believe about him. And Jesus is Lord regardless of how we feel about him. So this is the question we have to ask ourselves in regards to mission is are we living our lives as if Jesus is our resurrected king? One of the popular themes in the book of Matthew is this aspect of the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty of God simply means that God is all-powerful. That God is in control even when you think that you're in control. He's in control even when your life is out of control. He's even in control when you're trying to maintain control. Good question for us again to consider is, are you living your life in light of this knowledge? Are you living your life as if Jesus is your resurrected king? We have three implications that are found within our text of for living our life as if Jesus is our resurrected king. Look with me in verse B, uh, verse 18, part B. He says this, these words, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The first implication of, of Jesus' sovereign authority is that he is Lord of all. Notice what he says in verse 18b. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Notice he doesn't start with the command to go. He starts with the claim to understand. It's a good reminder for us as a church and as a body of Christ that because Jesus is, so are we. Romans 8, 16, 17 puts it this way. It says, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if needed, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. I love this because it goes into what we talk a lot about at our church, that our identity precedes our function. And that simply means this, is that who we are is so much more important than what we do. And notice how Jesus starts with a claim to understand. He says, listen, all authority. And if you have a question about the, the scope of that authority, he clarifies it with you in the, next, in the next sentence. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. 
I love this because Jesus doesn't just give us a motivational speech to spur us into action. Jesus gives us biblical truth to stand upon as our firm foundation. And what he says to us is that I have all authority, therefore, trust in me. I love this because it reminds us that evangelism isn't about who you are. It's not about your gifts, your talents, or your ability, but evangelism is about who he is. Love this word, all. Not some, not partial authority, not some authority, not limited authority, not even bald authority, not presumed authority, not unmerited authority, not even assumed authority. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And because he's the Lord of all, and because he has authority over all, every, he, has, he has authority to, to, to tell us what to do from this point on. He's reminding us of Colossians 1, 15 and 17, where the apostle Paul writes this of Jesus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things hold together. I have to ask you one more time because it's a very important question for us to consider. Are you living your life? Are you living your life as a result of the claims that Jesus is making? Are you living your life as if Jesus is your resurrected king? Not, not, not just an earthly king. Not just some pie in the sky God. But are you living your life? Are you grounding your life in the reality of Jesus having all authority? Of Jesus being a resurrected king? Yesterday, I had an opportunity to take, I have my uh, nieces and nephews uh, with me. And yesterday, I had a chance to go to a place that I'd never been before. And I had an excuse to, take, uh, to go there because I had them with me. And that's a place called Malibu Jacks. Anybody heard about Malibu Jacks? No? Okay. Yo, one person. Lily, Lily she, she's heard of Malibu Jacks. Malibu Jacks is like, Man, it's, it's like heaven. It's amazing. It's an indoor amusement park. They got indoor, like, kid roller coasters, arcades. They got bowling. They got putt-putt golf, all this fun stuff. So I had an excuse to go spend my money because I had my nieces and nephews, so I took them there yesterday to go. And as we went, I had seven of the kids with me, um, two younger and then, two, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, two was it two younger? I had six of the kids with me, two younger and then four older. So I had the two oldest ones. I, I got little cards for them to play games. And I gave the two older ones cards and I gave them a person. I said, y'all go. So they took the card. They took their younger buddy and they went and they had fun. I, I don't even know. I'm glad that are they even here today? Are y'all here? OK, yeah, they're here. OK, good. Um, they, they went and had fun and, and they did their thing. But I took the two youngest with me. And I, what the two oldest didn't know is that when I took the two youngest with me, I actually had two cards. So 
The oldest got one card each. In my pocket, the youngest ones had two cards each filled with all this money. So you can imagine all the fun that we had. They wanted to go here. They wanted to go there. They actually got mad at me because they couldn't get a hamster out of this little game. But the game is rigged. But don't, don't tell you can't tell everybody that. But they were mad at me about that. But I was amazed. I mean, I was tired. And I thought I was going to have stuff that I wanted to do, games I wanted to play. I didn't have time for that. Why? Because these kids were working me. They wanted to go on ride after ride after ride from this side of the place to that side of the place. I mean, I felt like I walked like five miles. I probably did walk five miles. I need it. I need to walk five miles. So I probably did it yesterday, which is totally fine. But what compelled me to think about this situation was I was thinking about, man, these kids, the, the two youngest were ones with me, they didn't ask how much stuff cost. They didn't ask, do we have enough money left? They were just on a mission. I want to have fun. I want to go. You pay for me to go. So they would get on rides like three or four times just after another. And then they go over here and do this and do that. I mean, they, they, they were so compelled to go because they knew that the person they were with had the authority, had the opportunity, had the privilege, had the power, if you will, to make things happen that they wanted to happen. They didn't question me if, if they could ride rides. They just went on those rides with great enthusiasm. They didn't say, hey, let me check the card and check your balance and see what's going on. In the same way, we are called by God to go. But we go not in our own authority. We go knowing that the sovereign God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the resurrected God is with us. And not only is he with us, he's calling us to go in his own authority and with his own power and with his own promise. Blessed be the name of our God who calls us to go but doesn't call us to go ill-equipped. He equips us. And what is the equipping? The equipping is his power and his authority. The equipping is the Bloody tomb, the bloody cross and the empty tomb. The equipping is him resurrecting from the dead to be sitting at the right hand of God, making prayers for us from now until eternity. The equipping is a promise that he'll come again for his church and take her unto himself and draw near to her despite her failures, despite her flaws, and despite her shortcomings. I think that deserves an amen. Our God is good, and he's gracious, and he's kind, and he pursues us even when we are not, uh, we are not, well, not just because we're beautiful or because we get it all right. He pursues us not because we're beautiful. He pursues us because we're his. Notice with me that he is not only the Lord of all, but he's also the Lord over us. He tells us in Matthew 19a to go, therefore. It's a good reminder that Jesus' authority demands our response. We say it this way in our church. We work because God is at work. We don't work to justify God's work. Our work is in response to the work that God is already doing. If we're choosing not to work, we have to ask ourselves, 
Do we really believe in the work of God? Do we really believe that God is at work? Love this because verses 19 to 20 gives us our method. And verse 19a tells us our motivation to go. Verses 19 to 20 tells us our method. Hear these words. Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. Notice here, to be a disciple, to be a learner, or to be a student is also to make disciples. To be a disciple is to make disciples. So how do we successfully do this at our church? Well, let me take you back to our paradigm. Remember we talked about that paradigm earlier? Stranger to neighbors, neighbors to friends, friends to visitors, visitors to family of God. This, let's say with the first aspect of strangers to neighbors. When we talk about meeting strangers to neighbors, we simply mean this. We want to meet general needs in the community as God allows us. What does that mean or what does that entail? Well, in two weeks, Monday, August 30th, we're going to start what we call these things called Mission Mondays. And Mission Mondays are just an opportunity for us to be on mission for God together as a church. So on August 30th, on Monday, August 30th, we're going to have our first what we call cleanup day. Where we simply come up together and we're going to clean up the neighborhood together in hopes of meeting our neighborhood, one, to beautify the neighborhood, two, to meet neighbors, strangers who will eventually become neighbors. We've seen great benefit from these ministries, communal events that we've done, where we don't know people, but we're just trying to let them know, hey, this church right here, we're here to serve you, and we're here to serve this community. We've done the Juneteenth event. We've done Truck or Treat. We've done VBS. We've done Easter egg hunts and, 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 and Christmas Eve services, all in that purpose to take strangers into neighbors. You know what makes a neighbor a neighbor is that you know that they, they're there. <laughs> you know that, they, that they're there. But then not only do we want to be neighbors, we want to go from being neighbors to friends. What's the difference between a neighbor and a friend? A neighbor is there, but a friend is one you can depend upon. It's one that you can go to. Every neighbor is not a friend. We want to be able to meet specific needs within the community with an intent to establish an ongoing relationship. We've done this through multiple ways already. We've done that through clothing and food drives. We've done that through offering and, and will be offering ESL classes here at our church. Offering NTI classes for children who may not be able to go to school um, for because of COVID-19. We've done various block parties in our neighborhood in order for this hat to happen. And honestly, you're doing it right now. Church on the lawn. Church on the lawn is not just some opportunity for us to go outside. What we want to do is we want to put ourselves in a relatively close proximity to our neighbors to develop greater friendship and relationship with them. But not only that, we don't only want us to be friends, we also want to go from friends to visitors. We want to meet specific needs, followed by a personal invitation to ask someone to join you here at our church. So I'm going to ask you a pastoral, I don't do this often, but I'm going to ask you a pastoral favor. 
I want you to think this week as a family, if you have a family union, if you are roommates, that's fine. If you're single, that's totally fine as well. Wherever a situation God has you in, I want you to think of five. I want you to think of five people that you know will be blessed by coming and being at our church. I'm not asking you to have somebody uh, swapping sheep. <laughs> if they are members of another church, let them be members of another church. That's totally fine. I'm asking five people who you know are maybe in a hard place, maybe in need of hope of the gospel, maybe need uh, t- uh, maybe just a personal be a part of community. I want you to think of five, but I, then I want you to invite one of the five. Think of five, invite one. Why am I asking you to do that? Because typically, when we only invite one and that one doesn't show, we, we're done. <laughs> but if you have five, if one just says no, you got four more to choose from and to pray for. So think of five, five individuals. I, I know we all family, friends, neighbors, coworkers. Whoever it may be, five individuals in your life that you could be intentional about inviting them to church and then choose one every week to come. What I mean by that is you personally text them, you personally call them, or maybe you personally bring them with you to church on that. Invite five, bring one. And then lastly, we see this aspect of visitors that become family of God. How do they become my family of God? Well, they repent of their sins and they turn and look to Jesus as being the Lord of all. They looked and recognized his authority that he's already talked about. And as a result of that, we baptize them and then we teach them as the verse shows us. Why is this paradigm important? This paradigm is important because I want you to know that regardless of how we go out, whenever we go out, we're going to be successful as far as we're helping people to transition from one stage of the paradigm to the next. A lot of times we share the gospel, we try to talk to people, and people don't want to hear it because we don't realize where they are on that paradigm. We're talking to strangers and, and trying to get strangers to automatically just kind of accept Christ. Now, listen, praise God if that happens. But in our culture, in our day, it usually takes time for that to happen. And if that happens, praise God, you can let us know as pastors. We will, um, we will celebrate together and we will set them up for baptism as quickly as we can. But for most of us, it takes, it takes time. It takes time. The third implication of Jesus' sovereignty over our lives it's not only is he the Lord of us all, not, is he, not just the Lord over us, but last week at verse 20, he's the Lord over every circumstance. Verse 20 says this, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. Notice Matthew closes his gospel the same way he started it. The final words of Matthew's gospel serve as a bookend as they remind us of Matthew's description of Jesus in the first chapter. Remember how Matthew described Jesus in Matthew chapter 123? He says, Mary will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Matthew 123, God is with us. Matthew 28, 20, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. 
That's a good reminder for us that Jesus' nearness gives us confidence as we go. It's the same comfort that a parent brings to an ailing child when they have a heartache or they have a toothache. It's the same comfort that a parent brings to an ailing child when they're scared of a thunderstorm and they run into your room and snuggle with you to get comfort. What it reminds us and what Jesus is reminding us is that just as a parent's presence for a child in times of fear or uncertainty is enough for them, so too is Jesus present with us despite our fear and our uncertainty. So what does Jesus' nearness mean for you as you evangelize as we go out? Two things I want to share with you and then we'll close here. Number one, this mission is not based on who we are or what we can do. This mission, the mission is based on Jesus and what he desires to do in and through our lives. The Great Commission will not be easy. It will be very costly, but it will be so worth it. Be so worth it. I'm grateful to know that not only are we called to evangelize and to share the truth and proclaim the truth that all authority has been given to Jesus. I'm also very grateful that if someone didn't share that truth with us, each and every one of us, then where will we be? You know, I remember my first time I accepted the Lord. I was eight years old. I was not a part of a church. The only reason I went to church actually was because my mom at the time was living with her boyfriend and her and her boyfriend got in a really heated, bad fight the night before she decided to go to church. It's a little church on the corner of Eight Mile in Wyoming in Detroit, Michigan. The church is still there today. It's Mount Vernon Missionary Baptist Church. And I remember going to the church and hearing the singing and hearing the, the gospel preached. I remember at the end of the church, it's a black church. They, they do what they call open the doors of the church. And when they open the doors of the church, that simply means that anyone who wants to come and confess Christ as Lord is able to come up the aisle, talk with the deacon, talk with a pastor, and accept Christ at that very moment. I looked at my mom after that service, and I said, hey, mom, I want to do this. She said, you want to do what? I said, I want to give my life to Jesus. She said, why? What, 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 why are you wanting to do that? She vetted me with, with a lot of different questions. I don't even remember the questions she asked. But I guess I did good enough because she allowed me to walk that out. And she allowed me to talk to that deacon. And she allowed me to bow my head and confess Christ as a little eight-year-old. And I'm so thankful. Because guess what? I never went back to that church. That church tried to call me. They tried to come to my house to get me baptized. I never went back to that church. But a year later, I was able to get baptized by my grandfather at a different church. And I had, I, I've been meaning to do this. So as a church, you can encourage me to do this. I've been meaning all of these years to write back to Mount Vernon Missionary Baptist Church in Detroit, Michigan, and let them know that their prayers worked. <laughs> and although I did not get baptized, and although I'm not a member at their church, I am a living proof that, that accepting Christ and looking to him as Savior is enough for one's salvation, and I'll have the opportunity to be with them in heaven because of them proclaiming and embodying the gospel to a little eight-year-old boy who now is a 39-year-old pastor in Louisville, Kentucky. 
I praise God for that. That their efforts were not enough. Now, imagine that church at the time. They probably thought, oh, that was a lost cause. He never came back. We didn't get to baptize him. He wasn't in VBS. He wasn't in Sunday school. Listen, God's kingdom is so much better, so much bigger, so much greater than anything we can imagine. Let's join him in the work that he's already doing. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you that you are a good God. We thank you that you are Lord of all. We thank you that you are the Lord over us. And we thank you that you are the Lord over every circumstance of our life. We humbly submit ourselves to your authority even now as your church. We thank you, God, of the work that you're doing and the work that you're yet to do. Glorify yourself as only you can. Father, I pray for those under the sound of my voice who need to submit to Jesus. I pray, Lord, that I'm talking to believers and unbelievers. For us who are believers, God, help us to come to a place of confession and repentance. Help us to confess where we have not submitted or are not submitting to the Lordship of Christ. And Lord, help us to repent and turn away from our disobedience and rebellion to full submission and love towards you. And God, I pray for those who don't know you yet. Pray, Lord, that you would bless them and you would allow them to know that despite their fears and despite their frustrations and despite their disbelief, you are Lord of all. And I pray that you would make that manifold even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Every week we have opportunity to partake of a meal called communion. And this meal is not just a meal, but it's a meal that speaks to the reality of Jesus being Lord of our life and being our resurrected King. We invite you, if, if you are a baptized believer in, 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 the, in, in the Lord, we invite you to be able to partake of this meal with us at this time. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and blessed it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Let us eat of that bread together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In the same way, he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let us take and drink that cup together in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus went on to say that I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day you, I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Amen. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit SojournChurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.